0: Uh, it looks good great i I'll, t- I'll trust it. famous first words yeah,
1: last words now wait what what's the, what's there to trust
0: uh no no it's it's showing up now it's when he's getting quiet, I'm not getting bounced, but I'm getting visual so
1: so as long as we play the vis we play the track visually people will know he was speaking I'm just that's I'm exactly
0: gonna, right so oh we're going we're going to send them the pKF file.
1: great perfect.
0: So, Katie, you see yeah. how he's on the mic like that? I really love that distance. If I can get you kind of on that mic as well. So
1: he's closer to me? I can't see because his beard and the mic are He's closer. much closer. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, there well,
1: you go. I, oh, well, if, I, I didn't know that. If I had known.
0: Well, because when you do the video stuff, it doesn't look good. But oh, I see. For sound right. stuff, I really want right. that in your face like that. And you for video
1: g- stuff, even more, actually. A bigger mic.
0: Hashtag <laughs> <laughs> What color?
1: Hashtag what?
0: Hashtag lean in.
1: Yeah, exactly. What color? Purple.
0: All right. <laughs> Can't offend anyone that way.
1: Yeah. And yet everyone.
0: <laughs> um, then you're doing your job right. All right. We're rolling on this side. Have fun.
1: Okay. Thank you. On today's episode, we talk to guest Freddie DeBoer, an academic and writer whose work you can find in places like the LA Times, the Washington Post, the Guardian, and at FreddieDeBoer.com, F-R-E-D-D-I-E, D-E-B-O-E-R, that's also his Twitter handle, and on Medium. And I have a special guest co-host, Gabe couldn't make it this week, so I have a good friend in real life and good friend of the show and smart guy, politically interested guy, Josh. Please go to patreon.com slash the Halper Show to support us and get great extra bonus content. And some bonus content you can look forward to is our interview with historian Matt Karp and an extra interview I did with Tom Sexton of the Trill Billy Workers Party podcast where we go deep on J.D. Vance. Hello and welcome to the Katie Helper Show. You can hear the Katie Helper Show every Wednesday at 7 p.m. on WBAI. That's 99.5 FM or WBAI.org on the internets. And, of course, please, please find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and rate and review us on iTunes. So just go in there, you write a nice review, you give us some stars, give us five stars. If you could, you give us six, but you can't. So just give us five. Um, and please support us on Patreon you go to patreon.com that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n patreon.com by the way let me introduce who's here in the room with me right now gabe isn't here a special friend of mine named josh
0: hi katie thank you so much for having me <laughs> thanks
1: for <laughs> thanks for being on josh
0: hey no problem hey
1: hey you you know what josh Whoa. we have fun
0: you know what at the end of the day you we, know, have
1: fun. Uh, we have fun we have fun we good do. times mm. um and Really excited to tell you guys that we're going to be doing a live taping. It's a special benefit for WBAI because WBAI, nonprofit, free speech radio. What's a better way to celebrate WBAI? Well, I can't think of one better than through a free speech festival. And by festival, I mean a very condensed one-night-only event that is going to be so um, punching such a— Packing such a free speech punch that it's like a festival. Basically, I'm talking about a specific night on June 14th, Wednesday, June 14th, where we will be doing a live taping of the Katie Halper Show. And we'll be looking at the question of free speech with special guests, Freddie DeBoer, an academic and writer and really controversial dude. Not a minute goes by where there's not at least someone mad at Freddie DeBoer. Just impossible. Someone's always mad at him. And Freddie's writing can be found in the New York Times, L.A. Times, Harper's, The Guardian, Washington Post. Mm. So Freddie DeBoer, Angela Nagel is the other guest. Angela Nagel is a writer. Her book called Kill All Normies about the online culture wars and the alt right actually will not will still not be out yet. So you're definitely gonna want to come to this event. Angela Nagel again writes for places like Jacobin, The Baffler, Current Affairs. Also, she's Irish. She's like She's not usually here. Wow. So she's going to, you're going to, don't worry, we're going to have live uh, simultaneous translation at the event of her Irish accent. And you can hear her on our past episode. She's great. Anyway, it's on June 14th at the Brooklyn Commons at 388 Atlantic Avenue. That's June 14th at 7 p.m., Brooklyn Commons, 388 Atlantic Avenue. And it is a benefit for WBAI, which is free radio, free speech free speech radio. It's been that since the beginning, Pacifica. And so we are asking you to donate to the, the station to keep supporting great things like the Katie Halper Show, uh, the Underground Railroad with Jay Smooth, which is New York City's oldest hip-hop radio show. Also, Amy Goodman, you may have heard of her. Her show, uh, Democracy Now, is on WBI.
0: A little show you may have heard of. A little of. show
1: you may have heard of. It's. It, she basically ripped off the Katie Halper show. She's told people that I know that mm-hmm. Democracy Now is actually her version of my show. The original title of my show was Democracy Later. Mm. Um, just kidding. I do sometimes do a Democracy Later segment where I just read their headlines and do a little put a little f- flourish on it. Mm. Um, And to get tickets to that that show, you go to facebook.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Facebook.com slash the Katie Helper Show. And you're going to see pinned to the top of the page an event. And if you click on that event, it will take you to where you can donate to the station. And in exchange for said donation, your thank you gift is a ticket. It's $10. $10 for not only a great live taping. Supporting a great cause. But then we have a little bit of stand-up and storytelling afterwards because mm. the theme is free speech. So we're going to be – we're really going to be pushing limits, really challenging people's comfort zones um, around free speech through the form of stand-up and storytelling. And then, as if that's not enough, go to that that link and then I'll take you to the, to the 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 page on – it's also you can go – this is like you want to – unless you were unconvinced that WBI need more money. Go to give2wbi.org. To then in the search bar, put in the name Katie, K A T I E, or Marie, M A R I E. And, no, put both of those in. Mm-hmm. This is like a. This is like trying to find the holy grail.
0: Guys, help WBAI Help WBI. Help afford, itself yeah. afford
1: a someone who knows how to update a website. Mm-hmm. Um, you will find a description of an event that has very little to do with what I just said. Mm-hmm. It's something like story time and has a kind of like pre-K letters situation going on. Uh-huh. Um, it looks like it's an advertising um, after school mm. for toddlers, but uh, that's how you get them. It's edgy
0: look day one of advertising school the first <laughs> thing they tell you everyone wants to be a child again everyone that's be- <laughs> the key. Look, if you they can low, to that, you can you get They go low, you go younger. Oh, yeah. We go younger. Mm.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, that sounds really gross. Especially when I'm dealing with Trump. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't mean to do that. Anyway, so go to give to wbiorg then search for the name Marie, M-A-R-I-E, mm. K-A-T-I-E. You'll see me, that you see, I will be mentioned. This woman, Marie Faustin, very funny lady, who will be co-hosting the storytelling part will be mentioned. We're going to really get into it on free speech. Wow. And the issue of Richard Spencer and the issue of um, people like Milo. Because there's not a lot of consensus. There's less consensus than one would think around free speech on the left. And some people think that you should allow people to speak wherever, you should give them a platform. Then there are people who are opposed to platforming, which is providing people with a platform for saying whatever they want. So we're going to be tackling this interesting, fascinating, treacherous, treacherous issue we're going to talk a little bit about mm. violence. We're also going to be talking about something that happened to me and Angela and happens to Freddie all the time, and he writes about but I haven't really touched I haven't gone there,
0: mm. which
1: is kind of left-on-left peer pressuring and left-on-left shaming. Oh, LOL. Oh, my God. Wait.
0: LOL. Yeah, left-on-left. Oh, LOL. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. LOL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. A- LOLs. Lols. Mm. Shaming. Whoa. LOLs. Whoa. We just did that. We unpacked that. Book title, it. here. Here, yes. I'm here for that, book yeah. title. And... What happens when they're just, there's so much, anno- and this is such a cliche thing to say, it's almost mm. as cliche as being like, you know, at the end of the day, like the the extreme left and extreme right, meet it's like a horseshoe. It's so yeah. stupid. And so the whole thing of like, there's so much, like, there's so many, like, firing, what's the expression? Something oh, a circular fire, firing. Circular spot. firing squads. firing squads on the left. It's like. Yeah, but this really is something because th- these are mm-hmm. people who we agree with the- each other on a lot of things and there's such cachet in like crapping on each other as inauthentic or as, sure you know, it uh, really annoys me.
0: Yeah, and well, it's interesting because I feel like so much of politics in the United States in 2017 has just become about the performance, mm. which is not to say there's not value to performative politics. There right. absolutely is. But uh, there is a certain- Hamilton. Perfect. You know what? Performance, politics. Thank you. It has it all. Yes. You're welcome. Uh, Oh, man. If it weren't for Hamilton, uh, Trump would have won 40 states. Exactly. No, no, but it's, it's interesting, like, how much of... Politics seems to just be synonymous or just conflated with performative, performance. Performance. Some what? Sorry. How much of politics just seems to be uh, conflated with a kind of performance for folks? Right. Where like it's just I don't know. I think a lot. I'm not saying all of it. Any of Josh? Saying- how
1: dare you say all politics is performance?
0: <laughs> whoa, whoa, I got whoa. you on record.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Rolled the tape. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. So really getting
0: into it today.
1: Really getting, really throwing <laughs> caution to the wind, taking off the masks, taking mm. off the gloves. I always mess up those idioms. You know, for someone as Educated as I am, and I don't mean that in a. I mean, I just happen to go through college, you know, I graduated from college so mm-hmm. we, and born and raised speaking English. And I mm-hmm. write, it's funny how much I get those things wrong.
0: Taking off the mask for taking off the gloves. Yes. Hmm.
1: And I get them wrong uh, – uh, what if I – this is, like, <laughs> like uh-huh. I get – oh, my God. You don't know? I get them so wrong, Josh. Like, that's, like, my thing. How
0: have we not talked about how this? How have we not <laughs> talked about
1: this? Wait. You're, like – how do you not – this is, like, such a part of my ident- identity. It's kind of problematic that you – it's a race shirt, basically. Yeah.
0: I, I didn't want to have to say it, so thank you for saying it on, on my behalf. You're welcome. Wait, wait. Is there ever a circumstance where someone's confused because you meant to say take no, off the gloves or you said no, mask or vice No, but it
1: sounds weird. Like, what did sure. I say the other day? Or I'll, I'll just be, like – um. He fell into. He got mixed into or something. I couldn't remember it. So it's just little tweak oh, things. Just, it has like a little okay. ESL air to it. It's probably my fetish. for Like when I when people think I'm... Someone on the street the other day, by the way, uh-huh. like a Jewish woman, was like, mm. are you Jewish? And I was like...
0: Apropos of nothing.
1: Apropos of Shalom.
0: Mm.
1: Um, She's like, are you Jewish? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, you are? And I was so happy.
0: Why, why were you happy about this? Because
1: I like when people think I'm... It's not because I'm an anti-Semite or self-loathing Jew. Uh-huh. It's like if I, were, I just like to. My assumption is that she was like, "What? That that feisty Latina woman is is Jewish?" But she mm-hmm. probably didn't. She just probably thought like I was whatever. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm one of those Jews who really gets excited when mistaken for Latina.
0: Okay. Now you may
1: not relate to that because I assume that doesn't happen to you very much.
0: Uh, Sure. You know, speaking as the understudy for Tavia in five to six. (laughs) Yeah, so you guys don't know what Josh looks like. He's
1: literally davening in the corner.
0: (laughs) Yeah. He won't
1: face me. He will never touch me. Like I can't even touch his hand. Sorry. Uh, What else does he do? Uh, Yamaka. A head-to-toe yarmulke.
0: You didn't <laughs> yeah, know this, yeah. but
1: really religious Jews do a, a, a burqa yarmulke.
0: Yeah. It's actually more like a hazmat suit made of the same material as a yarmulke. It's a
1: yasmat suit. Uh, yeah,
0: like, oh, my God. A <laughs> hazmat suit. Uh, yasma queen. Yasma queen. <laughs> I've been <laughs> saying really that for good. years.
1: That's really good. Yasma. Um, anyway, so donate $10, and you got a night full of uh, free speech, adventure, um, intrigue, you're gonna laugh. You're gonna cry. Rollercoaster across your emotions. Romance. 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 So yeah. romance. So um, we're gonna be calling Freddie soon. But what do you? And then maybe we can do the Hurwitz thing. You mean the Duritz? Duritz. Sorry. Oh my God. I keep. Okay. So let's. I'm gonna. You want to go to the uh, Democracy Now? You know, I was just saying we do something called Democracy Now. We also do something called As of Now Democracy Duritz Duritz Now. How about that? You know, Dur- Durat, well, Demo-
0: <laughs> oh, uh, Duratsocracy,
1: yeah, Duratsocracy. Now, Josh is gonna, Josh has really good talents, he has good talents. No, he's really good at doing voice over voice. I call it VOV, VOV. I call Josh my best VOV friend.
0: Look, that's what they say in the biz,
1: <laughs> and he also does an amazing impersonation of Adam Duritz,
0: Adam Duritz of Counting Crows.
1: Oh, oh.
0: The best impressionability to have—it
1: <laughs> really, it it opens a lot of doors. Yeah.
0: Oh my god! When people know that you can sing a song the way Adam Durritz of Counting Crows would, so many doors just open. Well, I've been they give to, stuff to you. I,
1: I try to. You know, I'm someone who really likes to go to crowded restaurants. You need to make reservations at. Yeah, it's my thing, and sometimes hard <laughs> to get a reservation. You call, you pretend you're Adam Durritz.
0: I can't keep on eating at Rouse. <laughs> they keep on. <laughs> people they keep eating you. Yeah, yeah. they
1: literally... They don't even notice that the man who just walked in is a human sized yeah. yarmulke. They ignore <laughs> the yasmat entirely. Oh my god. It's just the voice is so powerful.
0: At he eleven does... Madison Park, they have a booth that's just shaped for a yasmat suit at this point. <laughs> just it's safe. just it's just shaped for a yasmat suit. They're just Which assuming
1: is a, yeah, it's 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 a hum and it's Ironically, it hum, happens to be Hamintosh in shape. Mm. So, yeah, we thought that we would, you know, we love Democracy Now! We think they do really important stories. So, we thought a great way we would, to do this would be just read a couple headlines as Adam Juritz of The Count in Crows would.
0: Uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Do you see the um, headlines or do you want me to? I do see the headlines. So just, uh, yeah, so this is uh, just for a moment of context. So sure. I've done this in the past where if I know how a song goes, I can sing it the exact way that Adam Dirtz would sing it. I kind of feel like uh, just uh, if it's all right, yeah, if we course. can get one example song first, because I feel like if I go straight into headlines, it will be a little bit oh, more sure. inscrutable. Oh, sure. Do whatever
1: song you want. Any,
0: any song comes to mind?
1: You can also sing it to one of his songs, whatever you want, though.
0: All right, so it's just sure. So, just to give like an example, so, like, most basic example, happy birthday. So, like, the way Adam Durritt's again kind of <laughs> grows, saying happy birthday is long lines of like, <laughs> happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear Katie, a happy birthday you know? anyway Very so good. yeah so <laughs> so You're right
1: I, I realized we didn't try that this is different this is um not song but let's see how it goes if it doesn't work you can always set it you what you could do is you could do it as if we were mr jones uh
0: like, sure
1: face turn wars and Just yeah. an idea. whatever you no, want.
0: To no, no i appreciate it um all right so Top news on Democracy Now! at yeah, this just, moment. Did you is, see the
1: headlines?
0: Oh man, this is such a. I I feel like this top headline is so. It's such a sad piece of news. It's I kind of so don't want to.
1: But you need to dirt it up.
0: Uh, <laughs> you no, know, the problem with doing this, <laughs> democracynow.org, at this moment, is like the top headlines are. The Trump campaign rhetoric empower the white extremists who killed two bystanders on Portland Oh, train? no. Sorry. I
1: want to ask you to do that. Look, he- okay. headlines. Sorry. Headlines, not oh, stories. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah.
0: Pardon me. I, oh my I God, imagine I'm
1: like, I just want you to read line by line the description <laughs> of what happened when those two- Men were stabbed to death on the Portland train.
0: Yeah, Kidding. yeah. Not funny. Uh, uh, yeah. Can you sing like Adam Durrett's Yale historian Timothy Snyder talking about parallels between the Holocaust and the U.S. Yeah. is sliding into authoritarianism? Or is
1: that too cliched? Have you already heard that? Oh, uh, yeah. All day, uh, every day.
0: Uh Okay. Trump face storm words and clenched hands like European Allies or Jar Kushner under fire for me in a wealth or Russian banker in December. <laughs> really oh, keep going. Uh some of these are pretty I'm gonna skip yeah, some of the whatever more Let's catastrophic. Do five. ones. Let's do, five. Let's do say five. All right. Uh so spain a taxi workers launched nationwide strike to protest uber um two
1: more and then we're, we're gonna call Freddie.
0: oh man all the headlines are really so i mean
1: sri lanka that's kind of upbeat okay brazil that's good brazil's good and um okay uh brazil's good news colombia's good news Palestinian, um, kind of good news. I mean, it takes a lot to say that a a hunger strike, anything involving Palestinians and hunger strikes and Israel is good, but there's Mm -hmm. some good news there.
0: That's that's so much of my, like, when I go to, like, positive morning news sites, that's so much of what I see is... Mm -hmm.
2: uh, Feel-good stories? Yeah, Yeah.
0: deeply feel-good. All right, two more. Brazil, thousands of protesters demand the ouster of President Temer. Uh, and then Columbia. Um Columbia a government reaches deal with Chuck residents after May first <laughs> massive Civic strike. That's awesome. Getting Thank a you little Condor Oberst towards the end there, but yeah. Condor Oberst, frontman uh, front man of bright eyes. Uh, uh, his what did voice. He say? Oh, well, I don't know if it's a band that you can immediately bring up a song and assume the other person will know it, but mm, he like of, someone who's
1: tried to do that and failed.
0: No, I mean, I can name songs there. It's like Halai, Halai. Okay. Yeah, no. I mean, I think... Um, but his vocal quality is a little bit more quavering than Adam Duritz. Mm, got it. Well, it's more, more declarative. Gray, gray, gray. Um You it,
1: know he's bluish, I think, Adam Duritz? Black and Jewish? I got to oh, check on that, but oh, I'm pretty
0: sure. I, I... Okay, can I tell you... I, I want to say, sincerely, I, I do... Uh, as much as I make fun of Mr. De- Never mind. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I was going to say like I I, I did uh, enjoy his music uh, at yeah. that time. Mr. Jones, um, and I, I appreciate what he does. That being said, it is funny to me. It is, yeah, sure. We
1: um, called the Freddy. Fredster. Hello. Hey, Freddie. How's it going? Good. How's it going? Good. Thanks. Uh, you're here with me and my friend Josh. Hello. Hey. So happy to be talking to Freddie DeBoer. Such a smart guy. Just really smart. I feel like that's almost all I have to say about him. But there's so much more. He's an academic. He's a writer. He's a contrarian. Is that? I don't want to say that because that makes it seem like you're kind of intentionally doing that. He's very principle-driven. Mm. I'm going to spend the entire show just describing Freddie, <laughs> not have him talk at all. Um, and he writes a lot about education, a lot about politics. He thinks a lot about politics. And you can find his writing... Uh, his Anova blog, which is on education, you can also find him at Medium. And Freddie DeBoer, yeah. welcome back to the Katie Halper show.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me on.
1: Thanks for coming, Freddie. By the way, and I broke the ice before we ever met in real life. We broke the ice when I busted him almost identifying with the Democratic Party, mm. and it was a it was a wonderful moment. Yeah,
2: you know, Democrats only seem to really pay attention for the presidential election. Right. But every year, the Republicans are tightening their grip on the state houses. And then what that does is when you have the state house, right, you control districting, which means that you can gerrymander and you can win the house. And so we're getting, you know, Democrats are getting killed on the ground game.
1: Oh, I think I heard a we, a little identification with the Democratic Party.
2: And so we're getting, you know, Democrats are getting killed on the ground game.
1: funny. One of those moments where you can literally hear the person smiling. You know, you can mm-hmm. hear their voice smiling. Oh, and I think I heard a we. A little de- identification with the Democratic Party. We can Maybe we can, a little bit. We can cut this out. We'll bleep this out. Of, yeah, please, bleep we, that, please. Yeah, yeah, The podcast, yeah. It was, it, was, it was more anti-Republican than pro-Democrat, so it's fine.
2: I, I used the wrong pronoun.
1: Yes. You see? Never let it be said that Freddie dismisses the significance of pronouns.
2: That's right that's
1: right. You're an academic, you're a writer. you seem to have gone through am I right that you've kind of had a have you had gone through a shift? Yeah. Well, I, I
2: got a job. I mean uh, you know like I'm at I'm at my office at, at Brooklyn College right now uh, and I'm during the day I will um, promote stuff on social media but I don't write during my work day, which is from eight to four. Um, every Monday through Friday. And so that has kind of changed my, my ways of engaging. Mm. And also, you know, I'm trying to be, I don't know, more professional about sh- I guess is one way you could put it. <laughs> right. Um You know, uh, whatever that means. Right. Um, but, yeah, no, really I just, I got a job and uh, I've been trying to make my engagement a little bit more focused and I just don't have the same number of hours to write that I once did. So uh, that's kind of changed how I'm engaging these days.
1: Okay, got it. And we want to talk to you about free speech, violence, maybe your your piece on podcasting. How was that received? You wrote a piece called Podcast Thing. I didn't know this, Freddie, that apparently you write on this piece that occasionally you get people wanting me to be mad about stuff that I'm not. A year or two ago, for example, someone kept asking me to be mad about adult coloring books, but I honestly can't comprehend why I would care that some adults want to color. Or people who think I'll hate wine tastings or quinoa, who cares? Don't get me wrong. I'm just... About always mad online, but I'm not always mad about things that people I think people think I would be mad about. First of all, what's the color coloring book thing? Is it fetish? Is it like fetishizing people of color or something? I don't even know what it is.
2: No, there was a an adult coloring book fed uh, a couple of years ago. It was very very popular. Uh, in fact, for a period of time, they kind of um, saved print publishing. Wow. Um and uh they were very popular and some people saw them as being uh indicative of a um uh indicative of like a i don't know a, a new immaturity or an inability for adults to grow up but mm. i just didn't particularly care if people want to um do coloring books if adults want to do coloring books cuz they think it beats their stress or whatever and
0: good for them
1: yeah, I like the idea that where we live in a world in which, like, the real problem is the proliferation of coloring books.
0: The coloring book industrial complex. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah.
0: The people who assumed that I would have a take about something
2: like that uh, um, is that, you know, there's a sense in which everything in contemporary political life, in contem- contemporary life, excuse me, is politicized in which... Even the most sort of mundane aspects of cultural minutia are expected to carry all of this political baggage, because we've suffused our lives with political engagement. Right? It's, I mean, for example, you know, when you have when you're online all the time, on social media or on blogs or whatever, um, the you, you have a tendency to begin to read everything in your life through a political lens.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Especially when you're not actually engaged in politics in other ways which kind of provides the contrast or the perspective right like if you are doing labor organizing or housing organizing then you kind of have a nice perspective on the other stuff you're like well the adult coloring books thing i see wh- how it can be framed that way but that doesn't compare really to fighting to raise the minimum wage like the fight for 15 right. or coloring books one's more political right than the other yeah
2: right but but again like because the progressive political power is so is so curtailed right now, because we have been losing in so many fronts, uh, it's natural for maybe not natural, but I think one of the consequences is that people are. Uh, looking to culture more and more right like progressive people Mm. control the cultural industry they control uh, the uh, production of culture in Hollywood and they also especially control the analysis of culture and so it seems like you know if we only control that let's just grab uh, our hand tighter and tighter and tighter rather than trying to say well the impact of culture on actual day-to-day life is pretty limited
1: right so let's just go big what what is to be done Freddie
2: I think what's to be done is we need to have a authentic left wing mass movement in this country. Um, And that's easier said than done, obviously. Um, Part of the problem is that uh, you've seen this famous narrowing of what's available in the political space. Uh, I know it drives Democrats crazy to say that Democrats and Republicans are the same, and it's true. They're not the same. There are very meaningful and important differences between a Democratic and Republican party. The Democrats are better and the Republicans are worse, and I'd never say otherwise. (laughs) The problem is that um, that the fact that they are different doesn't mean that either of them is an acceptable alternative. And particularly, I mean, this was coming in a lot of ways in the Democratic Party, but it was particularly the presidency of Bill Clinton. The differences between the two political parties were radically uh, shrunk. And uh, we were left without a meaningful left-wing alternative for people to get invested in. Uh, And people need to believe that a political platform is going to help build them a better life. and We don't have that right now. So what's going to take is a lot of long, hard work to convince people that the left-wing way is correct to to expand the boundaries of what's possible in American politics and to demonstrate to people that if you get on board with our program, we can gather mass power, mass democratic power, and make real change.
1: How much of this is – I mean, it's not to be too semantics-based or too kind of uh, academic about it, but what – I mean – is part of this that the left really what something we call the left isn't actually the left, like do we need to start using the liberal left and the left left?
2: Oh yeah, I mean I you know I will often use the, the left to refer to the broad left of center right in this country, um, and then also more specifically like a left like a radical left or a socialist left, anti-capitalist left. Yeah, that's fair.
1: Let's let's just shift gears a little bit. If there's been this kind of group thing. on the left the left, the left, left, not like Democrats, around two issues lately, around free speech and around violence. And those are two things that you you have important things to say that are not that are kind of not on message for, for much of the left. I think there's like this weird fetishization on the part of the left that things like free speech are liberal values, not left values? And uh, the idea that violence is not the way to win major gains is somehow like a polite society, liberal idea?
2: Well, the left, to which I belong, the socialist left or the radical left, the left left, uh, a lot of its culture derives from the fact that we have been a party of losers for a very long time. Um, The the radical left has done nothing but lose in this country for my entire lifetime. Uh, And uh, I mean, that's just... a statement of fact. I mean, you know, there is, I mean, we have Bernie Sanders, I think, well, I would call him more of a social Democrat than a socialist. Uh, he still is a fairly left-leaning guy and he's our, our sort of our lodestar, but he's a single Senator from a small state uh, who is unable to capture the presidential nomination, uh, who doesn't command significant uh, power in the legislative body. Uh, we don't really have a functioning left-wing movement. Our institutions are small. Uh, the the growth in the Democratic Socialists of America is very encouraging and I'm very happy about it. But per- perspective, there's about half as many national members of DSA as there are NRA members just in New York City. Okay. Wait, say um, that again? So there's, there's a half as many members of the Democratic Socialists of America throughout the country as there are NRA members just in New York City.
1: In the city, not even the so, state. New York City. New York City. That's...
2: Okay? Wow. So, so, you know, we are a small movement that does not control significant political power. Um, and when you've lost as much as we, you've lost, you tend to develop a series of ticks and a way of engaging with the world. that's more about managing this perpetual disappointment emotionally and psychologically than it is about asking for how we can actually win. And so the obsession with political violence, for example, is something that seems very appealing when you keep losing in the democratic plane. Right? Um, it sounds very romantic, and it sounds kind of hopeful if you have a uh, uh, if you have sort of failed and failed and failed again. Well, we're, now we're going to go into the, to the streets and actually fight, right? Because that's enervating, and it's uh, uh, and, excuse me, it's energizing, excuse me, and it's uh, uh, it makes you feel like someone who's important who's at an important moment. But any rational look at the current situation that we're in in this country would tell us that the threat of left-wing political violence is laughable, right? Like that we simply do not control the kind of ability to project force that would make that even remotely likely to result in any kind of victory. Uh, for reasons that probably don't even have to go over. But again, it seems like it's something that you can say, well, now I'm really doing something because I'm calling for, uh, for a violent action. And uh, the same thing is tr- broadly true for this free speech debate, where it seems like there's this sort of, like we're in a position of power when we say that we're going to dictate terms about who gets to speak and when. But of course we probably won't, because the left lacks power in most contexts we're not going to be the censors. We're going to be the censored. Outside of the university campus, we don't usually have the ability to, to sort of lay down who's speak and who doesn't.
1: You said that there are very few places that the left will be able to control free speech outside of academia. What, what is a space where we would lose at that? What What's an example of that?
2: Where's a place where most people reside for eight hours of the day? Work the workplace the workplace is a perfect example of a place where I mean do you hear like about no platforming campaigns within the average corporation do you hear uh, people organizing to sort of shut down certain points of view in the workplace no of course not we don't even have a conversation about that because the idea is so ridiculous because the idea is so far out there that we don't even contemplate it right there's way more people in the workplace than there are in college Right. Mm. College is a very small portion of the American population. Most people work, and those who don 't want work want to work mostly right. and so you know we don 't even have that conversation uh, in the it, in the places that uh, that again because the the left of center tends to control the cultural spaces, it can look like we have this kind of cultural hegemony that 's going on. And yes, we can regulate, you know, media, Twitter, and make sure people don't say dumb things, and we'll hound them if they do. Or we can take advantage of some of the peculiarities of contemporary colleges in order to shut down speech we don't like. But in the long run, in politics, in in the Senate, people say things that are unwoke all the time, right? It just what happens that Republicans have a majority of the Senate, and even the Democrats who are in the Senate aren't exactly what I would call woke people. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the workplace, right? the workplace is an inherently conservative environment. In religious service, right? If you go out into the America's religious places, uh they are some of them are very progressive, but by and large they are conservative spaces. So no one's talking about no platforming conservative species, uh, speakers. We're only giving our level of analysis into the places that we already control. So I think these things are are largely just a a reaction to being powerless. I also think that they tend to come from the fact that we don't really have a good theoretical apparatus. I mean, the funny thing is, you know, uh, we have, uh, uh, you know, this... Old school sort of interpretation of the left as being just a bunch of theorists who never take action. I actually think that we have insufficient theory on the left right now because we don't talk things through. Mm-hmm. There wasn't any ever any time when there was some book that someone wrote uh, where they say, you know, here's the case against left wing free speech support, or there wasn't a time when we got together as an international and voted. It just sort of was this sort of weird cultural thing that happened, and the reason why is because some college student activists started agitating against free speech. And we said to ourselves, "Well, we're the kind of people to stand with uh, college student activists, so we're just going to get generally be on that side." But that's a terrible way to proceed if you want to be a serious political movement. We have to make uh, intelligent uh, uh, decisions about what's likely to work and what's likely to spread our our, uh, our appeal to other people. But again, we don't have a functioning intellectual infrastructure, so we don't have the ability to sort through those things.
1: I think that there's like this really annoying these really annoying buzz phrases and buzzwords, like stop over-intellectualizing or you're just talk or "that's we don't have the privilege to just talk about things. So if you were designing, like if you got, let's say you could, Got a, a grant to fix the political left. What would, what would that look like? Like, what would happen? Would there be people working on theory? Like, I don't even know what this looks like. We
2: had a tradition of radical left wing right. organizing within the workers' movement for a very long time, right? It used to be the case that you could go down to the union hall, and, well, most of the time, the union hall members probably weren't engaged in abstract political discussions. They would sometimes. And you had your union paper, and you had your radical papers that helped to sort of work through issues of of doctrine. Now we have journals like Jacobin, right, or New Left Review or things. But we you know the the conversation is on Twitter where nobody reads where you have extremely con- curtailed ability to actually communicate where everyone is looking to make bad faith readings at all times and where we're not trying to actually sort through c- different differing sort of conflicting and difficult ideas, we're trying to find out who's good and who's bad. Mm-hmm. You can't have a functioning intellectual culture that way. If we want to have a uh, political movement that has the ability to answer hard questions, we have to actually allow people to disagree and it may say things that might be controversial without becoming the subject of uh, of shunning campaigns. But unfortunately, mm. again, we think that shaming makes us powerful, even though it doesn't.
1: Yeah, that's a really annoying thing. And I kind of, I always hope that there that the left, the left that likes to kind of. Um, differentiate itself for good reason from liberals. Like I'm always wishing and hoping that they will pick, pick that up. Like that's not a good look and that's one of the things that we find so annoying about liberals, but the left really does that. Yeah. It's kind of disappointing and hypocritical
2: well the, we just we just had a primary a year long primary campaign that was supposedly pulling out all these differences between left and liberal but since then the left the socialist left has only gotten more and more like liberals i mean that's the funny thing is that after all these recrimination and, and all the anger about the primary campaign the way that people are working uh the the people are engaging on the left now just seems to me very similar to the what progressive democrats are doing what do you mean I mean that um, there's been an embrace of the politics of the personal. Mm. If you go on Twitter right now and you say something controversial, uh, you'll get a bunch of people who identify with the radical socialist left who are really interested in engaging in shaming tactics, right? Anytime someone says, something dumb on uh, Twitter, there's now a million people with uh, rose emojis in their uh, usernames sort of jumping into the pylon, right? But pylons and shamings are inherently not within the purview of radical politics, because radical politics are about structures, right? I mean, I'm you know I am a Marxist, and as a Marxist, I believe that history is not driven by individual people. It's driven by broad social and economic conditions, by class. And so, there's no point in engaging in a shaming campaign. It doesn't do anything, right? Uh, Betsy DeVos is a very terrible person, and I'd love to see her fail for personal reasons. But Betsy DeVos is a uh, is a symptom of a underlying structural economic condition in this country. And so that's the sort of thing where, you know, again, I think people just have not theorized appropriately. There's no pressure within the left right now to be someone who does the reading. And so you have all these people who self-identify as socialists, uh, who haven't read their marks, who don't have a basic history of of, uh, socialism in the United States and elsewhere uh, in their uh, sort of – a mental arsenal. And so they can't work through these issues. And I just find that to be a profound mistake.
1: Do you think that there is uh, any context in which um, shame is a legitimately useful tactic?
2: I think that shame can be a useful tactic when it is derived from a meaningful and real uh, sort of admiration and close personal relationships between people where you feel a when you someone does something to shame you, or at least just say to correct you instead, then you feel an intrinsic and sincere desire not to offend that person, and so you change your, your behavior. But shaming in the way that we usually th- think of it, which is that a lot of uh, uh, strangers lob insults at you until you acquiesce, to me just seems to prompt uh, people who apologize out of obligation. Right. and not to prompt any kind of sincere reevaluation of what's going on. I mean, look, these shaming campaigns aren't really about changing behavior, right? They're about making the people who are engaging in the shaming feel good. And sometimes I want to do that. Sometimes I have done that, taking <laughs> part in that. But that doesn't mean that it's actually a meaningful or worthwhile endeavor.
1: Um, did you see, speaking of free speech, I'm sure you saw this story about um – there was a, uh, a fatal stabbing of two men who were trying to protect a, two women who were being yelled um, racial epithets at on a Portland uh, commuter train. And uh, just reading from CityLab.com, this article, as Portland reels from the fatal stabbing of two men who tried to stop another passenger from shouting Muslim slurs aboard a commuter train, the mayor is asking the feds to block two upcoming protests in public, in Public space, a quote, Trump free speech rally, and quote, and a quote, march against Sharia, end quote. The Washington Post reports. Um, and so, um, yeah, they're they're trying to. I guess they think that, that the way to respond to this is by shutting these things down. What what's your what, what's your uh, response to that response? Look
2: what what is the political uh, lesson of the last several years? Shutting bad ideas out of the public sphere does not hurt them, right. right? The alt-right did not rise from the New York Times op-ed page. The alt-right did not even come up from, like, National Review. The alt-right rose from the from the margins, right? It, it, it rose from 4chan. It arose from the darkest corners of Reddit, right? This idea that we put, shut people out of these mainstream spaces, whether physical or virtual, and that somehow hurts their message is not true. Milo Yanniopoulos has accumulated a huge number of followers outside of the spotlight, and the the basic. Assumption about this is just wrong. It's empirically wrong to say that shutting people out of these spaces actually works to keep them from spreading their message. In the Internet era, the digital era, it is absolutely impossible to stop a message from spreading to who you want it to spread to. Even if we thought it was a good idea, we can't actually do it, and we have to deal in reality.
1: And what about, I mean, What role do, I I was listening to you on um, uh, Dead Pundit Society and you talked about how, you know, there's Richard Spencer, there's Milo, there's Richard Murray, but the real, uh, Charles Murray, sorry, Charles Murray? Yeah. But the real threat is, you know, or the real issue, the more important thing is that Jeff Sessions is, um, you know, the Attorney General, right? Um, What significance though and what role do people like Milo play and, and Spencer play and how much are they a reflection of something versus how much do they actually shape things? And it goes back to the question that, you know, as a Marxist, you're saying as a Marxist, we we believe in uh, structural forces and not individuals. Right. But even just going back to the Communist Manifesto. Right. There's some clearly that's Marx's shtick, Right. It's not it's not individuals. It's it's. Uh, structural forces and its workers' mass movements. But he did write the Communist Manifesto, right? He said, workers of the world unite, you have nothing to lose but your chains. So there's the role of the individual is kind of, even in the most um, structure, pro-structure manifesto ever, it's clearly written by one person who's using his power to try to foment a revolution that he claims is going to be inevitable anyway, right? so I guess what what is the – how do we kind of look at the role of individuals, in, be it someone like Karl Marx or be it someone like Richard Spencer?
2: The, the point is not to say that individuals don't matter, that they don't have any agency. I am opposed to Richard Spencer. I'm opposed to Milo Yiannopoulos. But it is important to actually re- recognize in whom power is actually vested in this country. I've said it before. Richard Spencer has less actual political power than, like, the postal, right. uh, the postal czar of a, a major city, right? He has less power than the head of a school board in any sort of mid-sized suburban town. That's just like right. looking at his actual ability to materially change the world. Again, as I just said, I think that the way to oppose these guys is to oppose their ideas because you cannot silence ideas in the digital era. Whatever ability we had to enforce actual censorship in the past is gone.
1: Yeah. So how do we oppose their ideas? Uh,
2: by articulating better ideas, right? By saying, by showing people that we're listening to them, that we hear their problems, and that we have the best solutions. We give people things and then we take credit, mm. right? We give them Social Security and we say, here, we gave you money when you were old. We give them health care. We say, here, we gave you health care when you were sick. We give them protections for the, for the environment. You say now here's breathable air and clean water, right?
1: So when you, you, to, to you give people
2: things and you, you, get, you take credit for them, you make a simple case that your platform provides better things for them than the alternative. That's how you win.
1: Wait, so you don't win by saying um, you need to check your white male privilege and think about why you even considered voting for Trump? That's not gonna That's not but, gonna uh, turn people around.
2: I think that if we take a quick look at the world and we look at how often liberals have been saying that for the past 10 years, and then you see how much the world is filled with bigotry, right. you find that nothing changes, right? right? I, at this point, I would say that wokeness is an empirical failure. <laughs> uh, do you think uh, anyone
1: would actually push back and be like, actually, we haven't been privilege checking enough? And if we really pushed the, made the case for it, maybe coal miners while they were I, I, mining I, would take some time out and kind of check their own privilege.
2: I just don't think that. I mean, I think that a lot of people who are super woke are just not even particularly invested in uh, having a, a kind of a right. rational take on how to create change. I think that they, that they find being asked to think about that kind of an imposition. So I'm not sure that anyone would even bother to, to sort of come out and say so.
1: Yeah, that would be a good party. Like uh, be a good liberal. It would be funny. It would be parody. But then people would actually take it seriously. The like go woke, uh, well, yeah. go woke or go home, go big or go home on the woke right. front. Just wondering if you ever like, I used to. I went to Wesleyan. Freddie, for listeners who don't know, grew up in Middletown, um, and I kind of used to really think, th- see things from this liberal point of view. Very knee jerk. I'm very ashamed of it. I have to admit. Um, and some of the reasons. I mean, I'm opposed to the the w- w- wokeification of politics and the neoliberalism uh, dressed in touchy-feely like inclusivity uh turn or, or f- treatment of politics or whatever but part of the reason i think i respond to it that way too is because i have a i, I have the visceral response to remembering when that kind of worked on me you are someone who like f- for as long as you've been public at least you, you've rejected that and um do you did you ever feel any pressure to think that way i mean did you ever pick any of it up at wesleyan being around wesleyan or or were you always frustrated by it
2: uh, well, I mean, I grew up around radical people. I mean, I, you know, um, my grandfather was a, a, a socialist professor who was blacklisted by the Broyles bills, which were Illinois state bills, uh, uh, looking for to hunt out uh, communists from the state university system. He was listed by name in those bills. Not uh to brag. My grandmother my grandmother was a civil rights and uh, and civil liberties uh, organizer who won the ACLU's uh, 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 lifetime achievement award for her work. Uh, my father w- lived in New York during the uh, the bad old days in the you know the the mid '70s and uh, w- worked for the National Endowment of the Arts and was uh, a director in the black box theater scene. I grew up around uh, queer people and radicals and junkies and artists and dreamers and people like that and. Um, There was always a profound difference between them and how they interacted with the world and how the default Wesleyan student did. Now, that wasn't any insult to the default Wesleyan student because they were 18 or 19 years old, but uh, there's just always been a clear difference to me between those different ways of engaging with the world, and I've always had a clear sense of which was better and more likely to produce change.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a similar background, and I have to say I don't know what it was. I, like, fell for, I don't know. I was young. I was young. Times are tough.
2: There's a, lot of, there's a lot of social pressure to yes. do so. I mean, that, you've, seen, yeah. you've seen PCU, right?
1: I Yeah, I saw it. I went to it. But yeah, PCU, yeah. Which is created by uh, Wesleyan Braz, right?
2: I'm yeah, one of my dad's d- students. Oh, really? Uh,
1: yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Funny. Um, that's cool. We should do a... Oh, my God. We should totally do a... Um, What's it called? Um, when you watch a movie, you could talk over
0: it. I'm a C3K. Yeah.
1: We should do mis- Mystery Science Theater of... Uh, of a PCU one day, Freddie, mm. holding you to it, uh, sure. All right, cool. Sure, we, could, we, could, we could host it, sure. Yeah, let's do it. will be so much fun at the Broken Commons. All right, well, thank you so much, Freddie, for your time. Uh, Freddie DeBoer, absolutely. You, bye, Talk
2: to you soon. See
1: you June 14th. Yep, see you then. Live and in person. Bye. Yep. Okay, right, thanks so much, guys, for listening to the KT Helper Show. Use the hashtag KT Help Show. That's letter K, letter T H A L P S H O W. And I'm Katie Halps on Twitter. That's letter K, letter T, H A L P S. And also, don't forget to go to, um, go to the Facebook.com slash the Katie Helper Show. And you will see ta- uh, pinned the top, the top, the pin status takes you to a link where you can donate WBI in exchange for tickets to that great event. Freddie Borrel will be speaking there. So will Angela Nagel. You'll have some good stand up and some karaoke. So it's the best thing ever, basically. Please rate and review us on iTunes. And please support us on Patreon. You go to Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, Patreon.com. And thank you so much, Josh, for joining us.